Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing Embodied Podcast. This is your host, Chelsea Horton. And today I am so excited for the guests that I have. (laughs) I had this idea pop into my head this week and I was like, I want to have my favorite professor from my grad school dance therapy program come on the podcast. I reached out to him and I was like, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. He's like a celebrity to me. And he said, yes. So I have my incredible professor from Columbia College, Chicago, when I went to grad school for dance movement therapy and counseling, this is the wise, the amazing Chris Larson. Here he is, folks. God. Oh, I think I need like Kleenex. Like, I'm just like, I'm crying. I'm feeling all this stuff. I'm my window of tolerance. I'm like bypassing it. I'm all over the place. I have my fan out. I'm like fanning. <laughs> well, I'm fanning as in fan girl. Oh, 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 he has oh. a literal fan, everyone, right now. Oh, my. So tell us a bit about you for the people who don't know who the heck you are or more about you, what you teach, all that jazz. Well, I, again, I'm also a dance therapist, um, trained um, at what was then the Naropa Institute, and that was in, I think, 87, 19, it's now the university, so, oh, got all big and stuff, um, and then I went to D.C. for my internship, where Marion Chase, the, you know, the grand dame, as they call of dance therapy, um, did her work which was really quite exciting came back to chicago where i am from and um started working in a hospital as a dance therapist and i still have oh yeah right next to me i i literally have the full-time dance therapy job position that was in the chicago tribune on sunday yeah i still have it because like you never see that you just like never see it's like says full-time dance therapy position. I was like, what? You know? Oh. Yeah. So I still have it next to me. It's yellowing at the edges. It's in a little shadow box that I created years ago. <laughs> yeah. And then um, and then I was asked to teach at Columbia College. Someone was leaving. And um, I was like, oh, and I remember. As a kid, we used to play a, a, a game called Teacher on the on the on our on the stairs of our house. And so I was like, Teacher, I love teacher. And as a controlling little precocious child, I always thought that people need to be taught anyway. And so I thought I, I it's a good it's a good it's a good step into teaching, you know, the controlling one that I am. And um and so I did and I fell in love with teaching and I fell in love with being with uh students and um and um i just love the development of the mind you know be it a client or a student or my own self and uh 
And so I did that. And then I got interested in, um, well, I really didn't get interested. Stacy Hurst, another colleague, um, she was asked to put together uh, sensory motor psychotherapy um, training at Columbia. And then at the last minute, she couldn't do it. So she said, would you take it over? So I got all this free stuff. And I was like, I felt really swaggy, you know, very Hollywood swag. I was like, and so I got interested in sensory motor, and it made sense because I think that, like at Naropa, we were taught in the in the um, in authentic movement. So I left Naropa feeling more like a somatic psychologist than a dance therapist in many ways. When I came to Chicago, it was very Marion Chase, and I hadn't really studied Marion Chase at all, so I felt a little out of place. But so sensory motor felt really um, it. And and then um, someone was leaving Columbia who taught human development, and Susan, I missed the chair at the time. Said, "Would you teach it?" I'm like, oh, God, you know, like really, you know, again, really, I don't know what I'm doing. And so she hands me this book by Daniel Siegel, um, "Developing Mind," and I was like, okay, because I was a biology major undergraduate, I was pre-dent, and so science has always been really intriguing to me. And so I jumped in um, full force and. Uh, that just opened up a whole world, opened up a whole world of workshopping and um, and taking a look at really what dance is really about, movement's really about, and what I call kind of slowing down the process. And I remember the first conference I brought it, I brought Sensory Motor to, to, to Dance Therapy um, Conference, and I was nervous because I was basically telling dance therapists to slow down. Like we're so expressive, like jump in, jump in. And we never really know what we're inviting to jump in, you know? And, you know, looking back at my work, even in the hospital, I, I look back and go, oh my God, what was I doing with them? <laughs> Just like doing rebirthings and stuff like that. So I was kind of stop, you know? It's like, okay, great. <laughs> you know? Um but, you know, I think that's part of being a creative arts therapist is just being creative and being imaginative and playful and and all that kind of stuff. And looking back at it, you know, like even in my own mind, I was looking back and like judging my clinical, you know, astuteness and and realizing that I was just um, that was the voice of the medical model, which I don't really buy into so much. You know, I don't like it. I think it's codified and whatnot. So going back and realizing that I was just playing and and I was um, in fact, I just dreamt last night that I was back at the hospital. This is so weird that we're talking about it. Yeah. I had a dream that I went back and 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 the hospital was packed. I mean, there were so many clients. There was not, a, yeah, right. Not even enough to get into the group room. And I was like, how am I going to get all these clients in one room? Um, and so that's really kind of like my my path in this and then supervision and whatnot came along. And um, and so really, I, I I would say that my life has been about playfulness and imagination and flow and passion and and really um loving what i do and um and staying in love with what i do so that's kind of that's kind of me there's you know yeah. so much more but this is an autobiography you know, so, <laughs> you know yeah i you know hearing your story again i kind of forgot about the piece where um you know you felt like you were more of a somatic psychologist and i kind of forgot about your biology background I'm remembering now you saying like yeah being a dentist was not a good idea um but I remember you know you bringing that science um 
framework into the dance therapy training. And that is really what piqued my interest in the science part of, of healing. Um, and the slowing down and the being with, and like looking at the subtle little things that the body does, um, as we tap into like emotional content. Um, and I always say like our subconscious mind manifests as these little automatic reactions of the body, the little moments of tension, the little shifts in our posture, the the times where we just close up a little bit, the little, you know, movements of the hands. And I like a huge part of what I learned from you is to really slow down, look at that stuff and, and be curious of like, what's actually happening here in these little, little moments. Yeah, I love those moments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, Siegel Siegel refers to it as vitality affect. I don't know if everybody else does, but I loved when I discovered vitality affect and the you know the the whole idea that the baby brain is transitioning and learning itself, and those little shifts and affect are these moments of self, like organize you know regulation and organization of self coming through in these little moments and i was a again it was a really curious kid who felt everything and saw everything and pointed everything out and of course was you know no that's not happening that and i so you know i lost kind of trust in it but i think those moments are so beautiful to stop the frame right there and and invite our clients to be curious in that moment because those are the moments that everyone most of my clients come because they don't want those moments they want me to take it away like no i don't want this i'm afraid of this and i mean i was i was again i was just teaching this last weekend and um i said you know it's really not it's not the issues that someone comes in with, but it's the relationship that they have with the issue that's really more exciting to me than the issue. Yes. Because they want the issue gone. It's like, well, are you, do you really want it gone? Or like, how are you attached to it? You know, and and this relationship is really interesting to me. And most clients are like, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, well, that's why you're here, you know? No, you're here to change your perspective on on you. So yeah, those little moments of, ah, ah, ooh, you know, um, can be moved and um, and expressed, um, and um, and you know, an an opening to possibility is really quite exciting at those moments. So yeah, yeah, I love that, and I love what you're saying about what's more important or interesting to you is the relationship to the issue versus the presenting issue itself. And that's become a huge cornerstone of my work with people with anxiety and OCD is they, they come to work with me and they're like, get rid of my anxiety. How do I get rid of it? How do I make it go away? And yeah, I, I'd like to actually dive into that more of like, it, particularly within the framework of anxiety, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast identify with that, but looking at the relationship with the anxiety or the OCD or the symptoms versus actually looking to get rid of them first. If you want to speak to that? I'd love to hear your wisdom on that. Oh my, I don't know if there's any wisdom on it. I just, oh gosh. I just, well, I mean, quite honestly, because I don't, I think that everyone has a different thing with it and it's, 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 you know, 
every time I teach this part of it, there's something so simple about of just, you know, we, we're doing this exercise that I call, oh, what's that? You know, and every time I teach it, the students are like, I never thought I could do that. I'm like, well, that's really kind of what we're always doing. It's like, oh, what's that? But we keep it to ourselves as therapists and we don't like give away the secret of like, just be curious with people. It's like Cole. It's like, be curious with people and be so openly. And again, I'm so playful that like my, my style is very playful. So it's not like, what's that? You know, it's like, oh, what was that? You know, um, and it just opens, it opens um, a humanness of relationship with somebody having a relationship with you having a relationship with your issue you know and it opens a, a whole different kind of core self that feels the suffering of the thing that's happening you know and isn't suffering from it but it's suffering with like the idea of compassion this idea of suffering with people you know that my compassion for you is that i will suffer with you and yet clients come in suffering like against it but not with it you know and so like this curiosity of oh what's that like let's go in there opens a opens like a, i see you in there hi you you know um and um and it almost it's almost kind of cultivates like a transcendent or a an other what I know, you know, Dakeman calls it a observing ego or observing self. It's kind of, yeah, a, you know, the one who can look at the witness, the, yeah, yeah the, the one that can look at it, not be it all the time, and it gives these moments of detachment from the thing itself, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that was wisdom or not, or it was just kind of my, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm now remembering your ooh, what's that? Like hearing you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. Like you were always using that in the experiential teaching with us, like even us as students, when something would come up for us, you'd be like, ooh, what's that? Ooh, what's that? What's that? And it's yeah, it's a non-judgmental curiosity and observance of what's happening. And it kind of planted in our brain to have that kind of relationship with our own stuff. And to help our clients cultivate that relationship with their stuff. So, yeah. I mean, for someone with anxiety, you you know, because I know you've talked about your experience with anxiety when you were younger, and you witnessed a lot of mine when I was in grad school. But for someone with anxiety, you're so identified with with the suffering. You're so identified with with what's happening. So I'm curious, how would would this? Oh, what's that? Uh, philosophy help someone who is kind of in stuck in in that identification with what's happening in their mind mm. well like as you were talking i you know i, I, I self-reflect and um you know what i what i didn't say about me is that i i have tourette syndrome and so i have a very visible Ooh, what's that and I grew up being at the end of a lot of people's, ooh, what's that? Now, it was judgment in it. And I, you know, I 
it was it was curious because I was curious why people were curious about something that was mine, you know, and I wasn't so like, oh, my God, I don't want to be seen that kind of stuff. And I think that part of my ooh, what's that comes from the innocence of a child looking at someone who's different. And and then then the parents say, oh, don't do that. Don't say that. And then it shuts down this curiosity in a child because the child's not saying, oh, you're bad. A child's just like, oh, you're different. What What is that? What is that? You know, and anxiety has in many ways an invisibility. People learn how to code shift and put it away. And that even makes it worse because now I'm hiding my anxiety. Now I'm even more anxious about my anxiety. Now I'm neurotic about my anxiety kind of thing. Um, so now I forget what you asked. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that, that, ooh, what's that? That curiosity toward the anxiety. Yeah, how does that shift yeah, uh, the experience of it? Yeah, well, again, so it's something that's invisible. I think sometimes when someone who comes with an invisible something and I, ooh, what's that? It makes it worse all like at first. Like, you're not supposed to see this because I'm ashamed of it because there's a lot of shame and anxiety and guilt and OCD. You know, there's a lot of like, oh, you know, you're not supposed to see that. I, I'm different and I shouldn't be showing you it. Um, but I think in the way I say it and like for me, again, the child who says that doesn't run away. The child goes, oh, what's that? And stays there because they're interested. And I think that when we, oh, what's that with somebody and we're literally curious and we're staying there with it. It says, I'm here. Like, I'm not running away. I'm not, I'm like, you know, not telling you you're wrong or anything. Let's get to know each other, you know? Um, and so I'm hoping, I mean, you know, when I look up, when I, when I, like, as I'm sitting here and like, I'm, you know, watching all the clients pass through my mind, um, there's a, there's a, 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 a decrease in the symptoms because there's a letting go of the control of the symptoms now again we can go into the vagal nerve and that kind of stuff that there's a social engagement that happens which calms the vagus which of course the ventral is all about anxiety it calms it and it's like oh oh hi you know like oh this thing is happening in my body and again i love the education you know i love a good i don't do powerpoints or anything like that but I love a good education of the body. I think that's really important to be like, well, this is your nervous system and this is what's going on. And offers the person who's having this thing education on their body, you know? Um, so ooh, what's that is not quite educational yet, but it opens a, the doorway of let's talk, you know, let's, let's be in this, you know? And so let's just have this thing. So. Yeah. I, I like that aspect of when we, especially when we're in the therapeutic relationship and someone extends curiosity toward the thing we feel shame about, often anxiety, like a lot of my clients, they feel like the fact that they have the thoughts that they have is wrong and bad in itself. So when, like you said, it's this childlike curiosity of, hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what it's like to be you. And I'm going to stay here to offer that, that, social safety that social connection and that very active itself is what starts to regulate the nervous system it's that co-regulation and there we remove that top layer of shame of hiding and we say well actually this is what it's like this is what's going on in my brain 
this is how I feel about it. This is how I experience it. And then from there is where we can start to, like you said, learn about what's happening and learn to create an opening in shifting what is happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, <laughs> I don't know if you'll remember this. I remember during one of your classes, I think it was one of your supervision classes that I had with you. I was right after class, my plan was to go to the airport to go see Matt, my now husband, because we were long distance. And I remember I was feeling so stressed about it. So stressed <laughs> about needing to leave class on time to get to the airport on time to get to the flight on time and kind of the stress of doing long distance. And I think I like just expressed that the stress of this long distance relationship and the logistics of it. And you're like, well, then why don't you just leave? And I, my body literally became so hijacked. <laughs> I could not remain present to what was being taught in class. My body was just like vibrating. And then, yes, I was trying to hide it. Cause I'm like, I'm in class. I can't be having a freaking panic attack right now. And you like saw it, you, you, and you had a little, what's that moment with me? You're like, what's going on? And I was just like, <laughs> like the tears. And I just like started kind of expressing what was going on. And then through that little opening of curiosity of what's that and me not trying to hide it and, and you know, put it behind, you know, this face of I'm learning. You were able <laughs> to be like, feel your skeleton. Like, I rem I will never forget you telling me to feel my skeleton. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. When I was so anxious because <laughs> you're like, you know, your skeleton provides support and structure when anxiety kind of makes you feel like you're you're falling apart. Um yeah. and I'll I'll just never forget that moment where you what's that? You you did a what's that with me. <laughs> I did. You did a lot of those with me, actually. <laughs> I did. I think I did in your interview. I did it with you. <laughs> yeah, probably. And interview. actually, you gave me this little book. I oh my god! I remember. I remember that little book. Yes. And I still have it. And it was. A, it's all about oh. grace because I had. I was so freaking neurotic, and I was so hard on myself, <laughs> and I was so anxious. And you were always. That was like my default. And when you're an anxious person, you don't know any other way. And you were constantly, what's what's that? What's that? What's that going on? And through that curiosity, I was able to like start talking about what was going on and realizing that that wasn't, not that it wasn't normal, but what I thought was normal was like, was actually like trauma and like self-judgment and self-criticism. And yeah. Yeah. And, and through that, you taught me like grace and compassion and being mm -hmm. in relationship with Mm. myself because mm. do you remember why you were so anxious that day maybe yeah that, yeah I remember I thought like oh my gosh maybe I really should leave this relationship because I was so afraid of making the wrong choice uh -huh. and being in like the wrong relationship and you know so anything that even resembled me making a wrong choice Mm -hmm. would send me into a panic so like if someone was like oh then you know if you're having this problem in your relationship then just leave and I was like oh god this is confirmation that I really am doing something wrong and that I need to like you know leave this situation leave this relationship so I yeah 
that was happening in my system. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, I just asked because you're you, the the sweatshirt you're wearing today says "Love Over Fear." Yeah, and that's really you. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people who have a lot of anxiety, but that's really you from the beginning. What's that? Say more about that. Well, when I, I mean, I remember when I first met you in your interview, I might cry. Um, you were so in love and so afraid at the same time. And I remember just getting in, like getting into you and saying, you're doing this. You're doing this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because you have this, you have these, you have this opposing thing in you. Can we be this raw with you right now? Yes, bring it on. <laughs> that love and fear is like your thing. I'm just not surprised you're, that you're wearing that. You love so deeply. You also fear so deeply. And the two, like, collide at times and create this in you you know yeah because i remember saying that to you and i wasn't saying it because i thought you should leave i was saying it because i wanted you to love the way you knew you could love yeah and you looking back on my grad school experience you helped me do that um because i was so afraid to like love with my whole heart i was freaking terrified because i had been so hurt and yeah all the fears of like messing up and you know that's why i remember what you taught me the most because yes you taught me how to be a professional but you also taught me how to be more fully me mm. And to, yeah, create that separation between the stories in my head of, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail. And to go, you know, full force into love, full force into passion, full force into like risk. And like on a cellular level, I was changed after those two years, like from like I was truly changed on a cellular level in the way that I experienced my life. Mm. And I don't know if you know the depths of the role that you played in that. I don't, but I do know. And again, it's never about me, but thank you for that. Yeah. Because I, you know, it makes me wonder as we're talking if that's part of the part of the mechanism of, of anxiety is the is the real fear of loving deeply the real fear of the passion one has for life Oof. you know like my fear of flying on planes is i'm afraid to die in an accident because i want to live as much as i can live not really because i'm afraid of flying you know and so this idea of loving deeply to really love deeply and find a life that's worth living is <clears throat> risky. <clears throat> and in some ways, it's easier to be afraid. It doesn't feel good. 
but sometimes it's easier to go that direction than to be like whoa this is vulnerable yeah <laughs> you know yeah and to just like live you kind of in the beginning i felt like i was standing in front of life just butt-ass naked like it's so vulnerable and scary and, and all your protective mechanisms aren't there to to cover you anymore yes holy shit, I guess I'm doing this. Like, I guess I'm just gonna like live my life. I guess I'm just gonna like take the risk and see what happens. Holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. That's so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then do you remember one of our last classes? How you showed up? I don't know if it was our last class, but it feels like maybe it was one of our last classes. When you sang. I did? Are you sure? You did a piece from Chicago and you got up with on a chair and did the whole piece from Chicago, the musical. I mean, that does sound pretty on brand for me. You don't remember <laughs> doing it? You well, were completely out there, like you had ripped all of it away. And I don't know why it happened or how it happened, but you took a chair and you started. I forget what song it was. I don't think he made me do it. But uh, he, had a, comment. He, had, he a had a comment. He had a comment. Yeah. <laughs> and you did the whole number. And you were like, and we were like, and I think some of your peers even joined you. I forget. But I was like, Absolutely. and I was like, like, what is happening right now? Which, of course, I love deeply when that happens. Like, when I'm even surprised, I'm like, okay, I'm loving this, you know? And it just happened. And I was like, okay. And we were in that one room and the light and the lights were off because we never liked the lights on. We always liked doing class in the dark and <laughs> and it happened. Yeah, that sounds pretty on brand for me. Have breaking out into spontaneous musical and having other people join me. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, like it just was <laughs> like, and there you are. I just remember thinking, and there you are, and there you are. That's who's been in there. That's that's who's been hiding behind all this, like, oh, am I doing it? Am I doing it? Yeah, yeah, you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There you are. And and it's interesting when I say that because it was it was one of the only times that I didn't go, ooh, what's that? I said, oh, that's that. Like ooh. all of a sudden you showed me. Mm. You showed all of us. Here I am. Mm. And you became this bad bitch. It was like, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, I remember her. <laughs> right. And it was like, okay, okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's I mean, I can't believe you remember that. And I'm like, it's it's very PC for me, but it's like I'm piecing it together. Um, but like hearing that, it's like that's who I've anchored into more and more since then. Like this expressive bad bitch. I've got a pole in my office, like yes, like this just fully um fully expressed, fully embodied woman who isn't hiding anymore. And I'm still uncovering all the ways in which I am hiding still. Um, but just reflecting on the drastic change of, you know, little 23-year-old Chelsea who came yeah. to grad school so terrified of life. Do you remember my ugly dance, like, during summer intensive? Oh, the, the ugly week? dance. The ugly dance. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so can we tell everyone what I mean when I say the ugly dance? What? Oh, absolutely. Tell. No, you tell. You, in your own I'm words. What, to tell it? 
What is okay. the ugly dance? And why did so you make this, us do it? Yeah, this was the intro to body mind, and this was um the maybe the second class. So first year, first summer, second class of the grad school, and they have me in a class called Introduction to Body Mind. And it had been taught for many years by someone else. And then I started coming in and, and watching and TA. And then I took it over. And I was like, this class needs to be about presence. This class needs to be about how do I show up? Because we were like, we were like educating and training students to be therapists without like going, are you even here? Like, where are you? You know? So it became this thing. So I didn't come from the world of dance. I, again, I was a biology major who started to dance later on and took a ballet class for a PE credit and fell in love with dancing. I was like, oh my God. And so I don't, I'm not trained as a dancer, but I've had, you know, dancer friends and, and improvisation, da, 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 da. And I am in a, a I started a dance company and there's three other dancers in there, who, all therapists. And it's one of our first shows and we're backstage and everyone's really nervous. And I'm like, what is this nervousness? I'm like, what is, what, what's nervous? What, what, what? And so I stopped and as I said to him, I said, you know, I know all this was, you know, Lisa Goldman and Molly, Molly Ryan and, and uh, Jessica Young. Why are you nervous? Well, they had all been dance trained. I hadn't. So dance to me was the gift that was being given and I was the channel of it. I wasn't being seen as perfect and all that. And I was like, what is this thing that we're doing to dancers to make them think that they have to be beautiful and perfect? So I thought, all these students are coming into this profession with all this bullshit of your body needs to be like this, and you need to look like this, and you need to be doing it, da, 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 da. And so I created what was called the ugly dance. <laughs> Woo! Of course, didn't tell, you know, the chair of the department because I would have probably gotten in trouble. What are you doing, man? What's going on? Um, and so the ugly dance was to give the opportunity for each student to get as ugly as they wanted to do. To finally just show ugly. Now, when I first did it, it was really just meant as a way of like, just let go of your ballet training, your jazz training, and you're perfect, and just kind of be ugly. What it turned out to be was, can you get ugly? And it started getting like crunk. I mean, it was like, boom. It's like, oh, so all these like white girls are getting all like, boom. Like, you know, <laughs> so, but the beauty of it is that the rest of the class was an audience as a witness. And each of you got to get up and go as ugly as you thought ugly could get. And as you know, some ugly got real ugly. I mean, the pain was coming all the way through. Yeah, right? And then I thought to myself, this is great training and modeling for each one of these students because this field is not pretty. This is ugly. Ugly is happy. But... And, and as I said to all of you, beauty lies inside of the ugly, true beauty. I mean, we can go back to this idea of anxiety and OCD and all that time. True beauty lies inside of our suffering, not in our way of hiding it and being perfect. So that's the ugly dance. So what was yours? What yeah. was yours? 
my god. I, I actually love hearing what the backstory of it was supposed to be because yeah, it did end up becoming like for me, it was like, what's the ugliest voice in my head? Like, what's the thing that I that like you said is not perfect? And if people were to hear this part mm-hmm. of me, they would be terrified. And I even remember after I did the ugly dance, my ugly dance, like my peers and the ones, my roommates that I lived with, like, I had no idea, like, like, it didn't even look like you. Like, I had no idea that that was inside of you. Because, yeah, you're, I'm so used to presenting. I'm a high achiever. Yeah. I'm so friendly. I'm so bubbly. Like, I'm a theater student. You no. Know? And for for me to show this, like, heinous voice in my head and my whole dance was me just going back and forth, like, my hands like six inches apart, like in this very rigid, like square box, just like back and forth. And it just like mirrored my very like rigid mind. And then I just suddenly kept saying, do it right, do it right, do it right. And like, it was just like this repetitive loop, this rigid back and forth movement and this voice in my head that demanded that I get it right. And then as I, I just kept like saying this over and over and over. And then it got to the point, like, I just broke down on my knees and I was like, I don't want to anymore. Like, I felt like I was at the mercy of this part of me that was always looming in the background saying like, you better not fuck up this life thing and feeling so like at the mercy of this mean and nasty judgmental voice and feeling like I can't do this anymore. I can't keep up with this anymore. I can't like keep living you know, in this fear of messing up. Yeah. And wasn't that beautiful? It was the most illuminating thing I had ever done in my life up to that point. (laughs) Yeah, all right. There's something so, and again, there's like something like sadomasochistic about like finding beauty in in like the deepest, it's like self-schadenfreude. It's like really getting off on your own pain. It's like, but there's oh, like, like yeah. when, the, when the breakthrough happens, it's like the, when the detachment happens. And even if it comes back when you leave the room, mm-hmm. at least it happened. And, and, and the mind goes, you know, you it, it's a moment of resilience and response flexibility. That moment of like, oh, I can. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I can, you know, because again, a lot of clients, they get, you know, like, like, like the session's good and they come back the next week and like, oh, it came back. Oh, and they get down on themselves. It's like, no, 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 that's okay. That's okay. You know, we're just, you know, changing the pattern, changing the pattern, you know. But yeah, the ugly dance is like that cathartic, like, ooh. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was like the first day. So, yeah, it was like the first week of grad school. And it was I like, was oh, exhausted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. That was like one of the most exhausting weeks of my life. But what, what that ugly dance did for me was it finally externalized this voice that I really thought was mine, right? That total fusion of me and my anxiety, me and my shame. It was like saying it out loud and expressing it and kind of letting that part of me have a stage Mm -hmm. and the spotlight. It was like, holy shit, what is this? What? Like to really hear it and see it in such a clear way. I was like, this thing is nasty. Like that lives inside of me. Cause it's, it's so kind of quiet when it's just in your mind or it just, it feels, it just felt like me. 
I was like, oh, this is just me. Or for me at the time, I was like, oh, that's the voice of God. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, right. That's, that's God wanting me to do it right and not disappoint him. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's real deep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's deep. <laughs> Took me, long, took me a long time to separate that voice and, and learn that that was not God's voice. Yeah, because my whole life, it's like, oh, God is the convicting one. You know, the whole yes. the Holy Spirit convicts you and tells you yes, yes. What, what you're doing wrong, basically. And so I was like, oh, anything that's telling me I'm a terrible person is God. Is God? Yeah. Wow. And you move past that one? Oh, way past. You have a different relationship with God now? Oh, nine day. Nice. Nine day. Yeah. What's the I voice mean, now? There is no separation between me and God, spirit, source. You know, oh, it's not oh. like it, there's such a more sense of oneness and unity. And it's, yeah. you know, any... Anything that makes me feel like I've come home is God, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, there's such a separation, you know, in religion to the body. Oh, yeah. We disembody everything, you know, and then only take the body of Christ in through a wafer. Mm -hmm. Some wine, you know, it's like, okay, <laughs> wait a second, y'all. You know, like, wait. Wine. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a horrible person. It's like, right. And it's like, and then we start to embody. I mean, what I, I used to love, I still love working with addicts because I, you know, like I love working with people who intentionally do things to destroy their body. Because when they find their body, a spirit awakens that's so beautiful to be within and watch it. There's just this, like you said, it's a coming home. And I've been seeing, you know, I, I was into shamanism years ago and there was a book called Welcome Home or Coming Home and stuff like that. And I've, I've used that for a lot. Of, when someone does, I say to them, welcome back home, you know, and they look and they're like, what? Because it's like this thing, you know, like, hi, you know. Uh, but yeah, to like finally stop dissociating from God energy is uh, really... Yeah, it's a nice feeling. We just went yeah. somewhere else, didn't we? I like it. We just, yeah, you said the spirit, when you get into the body and you meet the spirit that's there or something like that. And that's, yeah, there's there's our body, like there's different layers of our bodies, but there's something that we access through this work. And it is the spirit of our body, like the person of our body. And, you know, when I came into Columbia, I was still very, very religious and very disembodied, very riddled with shame. And I remember as I met my body, it was like, oh, this is what spirituality, like full embodied, congruent spirituality is. It was like, I had realized, I'm like, I have never actually experienced spirituality like in my whole life because it was so, it was so, um, 
fragmented. You know, it's like my body is a problem that has to be solved. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, I have to whip my body into submission to my spirit. Yeah. Versus my body, mind, spirit are all working together, loving one another in communion with one another. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful? It's next level shit. I'm telling you, right? Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I, I guess I was blessed. I was raised Lutheran, but our church had a lot of music, like guitar playing and stuff like that. So I always felt like a, a connection to the arts and God, although it was still a little bit like, you know, be afraid of him. And yeah. I was afraid of enough growing up. I was like, I don't need someone else to be afraid of. You know, like, you know, like, seriously, dude, you know, <laughs> and, but then when I started dancing, I got into this small improv group and um, one of the guys was Mennonite. And a couple others were, I don't, I wouldn't call them religious, but they had a following. And we we would go to different churches and liturgically dance for the for this in the sermons. And so we were dancing um in these churches. And I felt like I was coming back home because I left the church, ended up going to a Buddhist institute, which my parents were like, What are you gonna, you're gonna they said you're gonna sell incense in the they're gonna sell incense in the airport, they said. <laughs> and they're gonna shave your hair off. It's like okay, great. You know, it's like now my hair is gone, and I love incense, and and travel's not bad. You know, so, um, but like to dance and be in my body and song in this place that was called God's home was so moving to me. I was like, there we go. And that was before I discovered dance therapy. Then when I got into dance therapy and we were talking about mind, body, spirit, and I was like, no one's teaching spirits. So don't give me that business. You're just throwing it in there to make it sound like it is. But no one was teaching it. And when I would bring Buddha into the room, I always felt a little bad because I was like, am I bringing too much Buddha into the room? And I was like, you know, am I being religious in the room? You know, I was kind of, but you know, as you know, it's like I was always kind of underlying spirit 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 asking the questions about spirituality not being afraid mm -hmm. to say what's really what is that kind of thing you know because it's so important to be like this thing that we live in is filled with so much love and connection and and uh transpirational transformative otherness and maybe it was because i'm such an existentialist that like you know there's more to this than than what i was told mm -hmm. don't be mean to people or don't you know be nice to your parents yeah Even i remember yeah you had a you had a a very forward emphasis on spirit and i thought it was so important because like i said my relationship with spirituality was actually just shame wearing spiritual clothing and to in, be invited into a new relationship with spirit was healing on, on just such a deep level. And to let my body be part of that process yeah. was everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like, I think what we're kind of talking about is that like, what is the mechanism for each person's anxiety that comes into the room? Like what, you know, like, 
what's the not i want to say the tornado of it but like what's the eye if we were to think of anxiety as a tornado what's in the eye you know because that's really where the quiet is is inside the eye of the tornado what's in that eye you know like you know we might say that you know yours was about the 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 dissociation of your body and your spirit maybe it was causing some of that and you know these voices that were coming and saying you're bad and you're bad it's like you know how do we go in there and the kind of like spread it out on the table in front of us and be like wow hello um and instead of trying to do these exercises or medication for anxiety we reclaim the thing that was disowned depersonalized yes. maybe anxiety is a depersonalization maybe it's a you know like you're saying shame and there's so many you know there's so many attachments that happen and wounds around these things that we have you know and how do we reclaim it you know yeah 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 even like the reclaiming of like you're talking about early the reclaiming of how deeply you want to live or how deeply you want to love or the reclaiming of your passion and how the anxiety and fear is like, I'm so afraid of life. I'm so afraid of love and how deeply I have the capacity to love. So maybe it's even just that reclamation of your capacity to love and live so full, fully. Right. And not be overwhelmed, like to titrate it so that you're not overwhelmed by it, you know? Yeah, there's this there's this really wonderful movie. I'm forgetting who the psychiatrist is. Something about the mind. It's called, and it's like several different case studies with people who have these like strange, like one guy can't recognize his parents anymore, but one guy has incredible. It's almost like manic episodes, but it's not. It's not manic. He has incredible, he has an inability to um, not, um, he can't, he can't modulate how amazingly beautiful the world is. Mm. And he suffers from like, you're like orgasmic, like, mm. oh my God. And he's crying constantly in this show. Like he feels so deeply everything, mm. you know? And I remember one of my first clients that I had pers- uh, individually, he was something, someone I had in the hospital and he had acronymed himself as um, like this horrible, he had created an acronym of how horrible person he was. And when we got to working together, he confessed that when he walked to my house and he would see the garden blooming, he would start to cry. And I thought, I'm working with somebody who can't handle the depth of how beautiful he sees the world. And so he has to see himself as horrible to push that feeling away. So what we did in our relationship was slowly titrate taking in the beauty, taking in the beauty, taking in the beauty. And it was this kind of wonderful like journey together where he could take it in and not be overwhelmed by it, you know? Wow. Um, yeah, I know. Because, you know, I get, you know, people say, oh, you know, I don't want to cry because if I cry, if I start crying, I'm going to cry forever. Yeah, yeah. And I go, oh, I understand that. That would be horrible. But when someone says, I don't want to feel joy because it's too much. 
I'm like, why wouldn't someone want to feel like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And he did. But, you know, again, it's, it's about it's about slowing it all down and feeling it a little and a little and a little and a little. And again, neurobiologically, we are creating an internal constraint and an internal being that says, mm, okay, that's enough of you right now. You know, I know you're there, you know. And in your case with the ugly dance, part of it is the confession. Mm-hmm. Now everybody knows. Now with some people that makes them even more anxious. But when you look in the room and the room is like, oh my God, I love you. It's like, mm-hmm. what? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that process, like with group work, you know, the group work that me and Sarah do with clients. It's like people are confessing these things that they haven't even told their closest friends because they're like, I'm so afraid if people knew what was going on in my brain, they would judge me or tell me I'm doing something wrong or that my fears are all true. And for them to voice them out loud and then embody it and express it through their body and to be met with a group full of people who are like, I had no idea other people felt the exact same way I did. And that, that alone is such a wildly healing experience to be held and received in the part of you that you're so afraid of showing to the world yeah and then you're like why i wasted a lot of time yeah yeah like yeah wow yeah oh you hear oh you hear oh i wish i had found this earlier yes yeah but then you gotta be careful because then they're like then they're banging themselves on the head for not finding it and you're like you just didn't know that you just you know you're now you know now you're ready now you're and here you are here you are yeah and I I when I think about you know the people we work with and you know my kind of my past self it's like that slowly letting yourself feel the fullness of the love that you have and feeling it in a way like titrating it feel slowly feeling more and more of it so that we're not afraid of it so we're not so overwhelmed by it and overtaken by it because I know a huge thing that I experience in the people I work with it's like I'm so afraid if I let myself love this person fully and commit fully that my heart will be absolutely shattered if something were to happen. Yes. And really it's, I'm, I'm afraid of how much I could love someone. And if I were to lose them, I'm afraid of how much grief I would feel, which is really grief is evidence of how much we have loved someone. That's right. Then there's the ugly dance. Yeah. <laughs> Right? There's the ugly dance. People call it the ugly cry. Mm-hmm. And that's because you love so deeply. Yeah. yeah. So don't yeah. be afraid to get ugly. You know, I'm like telling you, right? Yeah, I have a client right now, and, and, and she's, I don't know, maybe 53, 54. And she said recently, she goes, um, God, why did it take this long? Like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm 52. I'm just doing this. I looked at her and I said, well, you don't have to, I'm, you know, we can terminate, like you can go, you know, and she's, you know, don't be a smart ass. And I'm like, well, then don't be a smart ass in your own cell. Yes. Well, here, right. Good for you. 52. Good for you. Yeah. You know, 
But we even do our, we, even when we start to heal, we do that. You know, I'm so horrible. I'm healing now. <laughs> you know? You know? And, you know, I mean, you also know about me that I'm a little limp and I'm very sarcastic. So, you know, like I say, just leave, you know? <laughs> you know, go ahead. You know? And then you're like, wait, wait, no, 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 no. I think it's about- No, no, I didn't mean that. No, not really. No. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Just the, we beat our, we beat our, it's really, we beat our past selves up for not knowing what we know now. Right. You know, we beat ourselves up in the past for not being as enlightened. Yes. And that's not fair to hold our past self to that standard because we, yeah, we didn't know. We didn't have the resources. We didn't have the connections. We only know what we know. Well, it's like, it's like cancel culture. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like, really gonna... When you were 15 years old, you said this thing, like. Yeah, we're like we can't listen to that song anymore because it's like yeah, it's like what were you talking about? <laughs> they should have known. Well, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. We like to go back and like shame the past of ourselves. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's the shadow. That's the shadow, you know, of of enlightenment, of yeah. becoming more enlightened, becoming more conscious, and then we go back and we bash and shame the less enlightened versions of ourselves. Yes. And then we do that up there to other people. We bash the less enlightened versions of other people uh-huh. versus being like, yeah, we're all on a journey and we're evolving. We've all done some pretty dumb shit. And yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not above doing dumb shit now. And I'm sure myself. Yeah, right. The 10 year old, you know, 40 something year old version of me is going to look at 30 something year old version of me and being like, Oh my God, cringe. Like, I can't believe you thought that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I hope my 40 year old self will be kind and compassionate to 30 something year old. Absolutely. Well, and again, if you're, you know, if you, if you believe in the reincarnation, then that's the next self will probably look back and I hope, I hope we did it right this time. Yeah, I'm getting exhausted coming back. You know, it's like, and can I just vibrate already and get to that level and be done? You know, yeah, yeah, right. And that's yeah, that's a huge. That was a huge part of my journey was to not judge the version of me who believed those things about herself and believed those things about God and believed those things about other people. It's, it's like, wow. That version of me paved the was an essential part in, in becoming who I am today. And so I can't judge her. I can't hold her to some unrealistic standard of how she should have been. It's like right. she was where she was and she went on the exact journey she needed to go on. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Sitting with, <laughs> sitting with the the beauty of this conversation and mm. yeah, all the reflections of where we've been together, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Isn't there a song reflect reflections of the way life used to be, reflections of the love you give to me? Oh, the Supremes, Diana Ross and the Supremes. That's what we're doing now. We are so doing it. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Oh, that's the most movement I've done in months. 
God, sitting in this chair, I tell you. Oh, I know. I know. Uh, yeah, well, just thank you so much for. You're welcome. Me. Thank you for the invitation. You know, I'll probably send you another invitation. In the oh, future. those invitations. Iran. Iran. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that now. Cringe. 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 For that, for that client who said she's fifty-two, I'm gonna use that for her. Because oh, for, for her, I say to her, I, like I said to her a couple months ago, no one wants to watch your movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and she stopped. She's like a gash. What do you mean by that? I said, I think you know exactly what I mean by that. And then, so the next day she made this little video of herself and it said, no one wants to watch your movie. And she sent it as a meme. I said, she's getting it. She's getting it. You know, a little humor, you know, I humor heals, you know. Oh, humor has been a staple of my approach. <laughs> my grandmother used to wake up in the morning and she would make herself laugh. She would go, ha, 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 and she would start, <laughs> until her whole body shook. And I thought to myself, if you think about anxiety, anxiety and laughter are similar in the way they vibrate. Yep. And so I wonder sometimes if anxiety is humor trying to get out. Mm. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite thing is when I I can make fun of the things my anxious brain says or to, to help my clients <laughs> laugh at the things that they once like took so seriously. Yes. Wow. To be able to laugh at it and not it just vibrates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, dear. Nice to see you. Good that you're so healthy good to see and you. alive and, and in love. Alive and well. We're celebrating our five-year wedding anniversary next month. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Time flies. Time flies. Tell me about, tell me about it. I know. I can't believe it's been... 2017 is when I graduated. Yeah. So, so you started 20, you started eight years ago. Yeah. Almost eight years oh ago. Oh my God. Yeah. 2015, eight years ago. Holy shit. <laughs> How did that happen? Well, I started in 1987. So yeah. I know I'm like, wait a second. Wait, no, no. Because when, like, when I go back and I'm like, let's see. So I started in 87. So that's 35 years ago. And I go, that can't be true because I'm only 34. Right, right. And so uh, how that was enough? I able to do it as a fetus? I don't get it. I, I don't get yeah. that. Like, the math wow. doesn't add up. The no, it doesn't. No. no. I'm still in denial that I'm 30. I'm like, that math doesn't seem right. No, something's wrong with that. Mm, I'm actually 31. So I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. We haven't even reconciled with like 30. 30. And now oh, we're no. just moving forward still oh like, no so i think i feel like i'm gonna be stuck at age 29 in my mind probably forever oh but that's Sanders return get out at least Sanders return at least go to 31 okay because well, then, then you're out of Sanders return then you're okay, like I'll, okay, then you're done. you get to live in now it's like yay thank you no no don't need tumultuous don't need that anymore bye-bye 20s were pretty tumultuous that's yeah, for sure. thank you you say say thank you bye-bye yeah, yeah. Well, thank you okay. for your time and for this conversation. I loved it so much, and it was so good to yes. meet you. Yes, 
reminisce on the good old days. I know, right? Yeah, we're going back to the good old days. Yeah. Good old yep. Yep. All right. All right. Take care. Ciao. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.